Welcome to Radio BX, the podcast of the Building Energy Exchange, where we discuss sustainability and energy efficiency in the built environment. Radio BX is a natural extension of our core mission to foster dialogue among the entire community that impacts the performance of buildings. I'm your host, Yatza Frank, and I'll be talking with leaders who are driving positive change across the country and abroad. So stay engaged and join the conversation each month with some of the most compelling people in our field. And we are live. Uh, welcome, everyone, to another episode of Radio BX. It's May 28th, 2020. I'm Yatza Frank with the Building Energy Exchange. The Passive House Standard has been successfully applied to a huge variety of building types, including some of the largest housing projects in the United States. But the introduction of Passive House in the U.S., and in particular in the New York region, was through its application to small residential projects. Uh, Incho and Michael Ngui are both architects that have played no small role uh, in the advancement of Passive House projects in the Northeast. Incho founded her firm Cho Shield Studio with a commitment to social and environmental sustainability. And Michael Ngui is a partner at Baxt Ngui Architects. Both firms are very well known for their work uh, in the Passive House space and both take a really collaborative approach to their work. And I think anyone that knows them has seen that in operation in the, in the, the degree to which they have dedicated themselves um, to sharing the knowledge that they've, they've taken on um, with their experience with Passive House. Michael has taken that even one step further and developed uh, the Passive House Accelerator, which is a platform for sharing events, articles, and other resources for the, to the Passive House community at large. In Cho and Michael Ngui, welcome to Radio BX. Thanks. Thank you. It's uh, great to have you um, both here. I wanted to begin by talking a little bit about your your careers. Um, um, what brought you to architecture, uh, and how did you how did you go about deciding to study that that subject? In Cho, you want to begin? Oh, sure. Wow. Okay, that's serious. That that's practically a whole lifelong journey. Uh, so <laughs> it pretty much started truly organically and very very serendipitously. Um, Basically, my first 25 years of life on this planet, uh, from childhood healing injured animals uh, to high school, working with my hands a lot. I was in a school where we worked with a lot of woodwork, uh, wood, metal, dirt, molten metal, foundry, model making, and all that sort. And wow. then pretty much went to college, abandoning all of that and, and getting really into foreign languages, uh, learning French, Italian, Latin, you name it and then living abroad. Uh, and that was the time when I was really revealed to me that there was life besides the United States and that, uh, that, that there was other cultures and social conditions and the built environment that were so different from here, at the same time, equally viable and just really wonderful. So after that, you know, coming back to the States and figuring out what to do with myself after undergraduate degree uh, in college, like everyone else, it just kind of all culminated into me thinking that maybe my two career paths were either veterinary medicine or architecture. Wow. So pretty much I just literally will never forget the day when um, I had to register for my pre-med courses in veterinary medicine. And I picked an institution that also had an architectural program. So on this day, I was walking towards the science building, which I had no idea where it was, but I happened to see the architecture building. And so I thought, let me just walk in there and just <laughs> see what the courses are. And now you have to remember that back then we didn't have the internet. So we had to either get a course booklet 
or just look at a piece of paper on the wall of the building right. to figure out what the courses were and the schedules. And so that's what I went to do. And next thing I knew, I was in this building for eight hours straight. I do not exaggerate. Uh, and uh, I ended up leaving that building being a fully matriculated architecture student, wow. never having set foot in any science building. And to this day, I still don't know where that building exists, <laughs> where it is. And that's the, that's how I started my architectural path. Like literally. That's amazing. <laughs> you were sucked in by yeah. the drawings and models. It really did. I mean, it, it was just too much fun that I, I just never turned back and never had doubts. And so, yeah, so that's how I started. Excellent. <laughs> Michael, how about you? Um, I, I wanted to, I, I always wanted to be an architect uh, from a very young age. Um, and um, I don't know what made me want to be an architect. I, I don't know that it was necessarily being an architect as much as I wanted to um, uh, redesign houses and redesign um, whatever I was in. And uh, that happened at a really early age. It got derailed a little bit in high school when I learned art existed and that I could be a painter. And I, I, I wanted mm -hmm. to do that a bit. Yeah. So I went up going to New York Tech in Old Westbury. Their architectural uh, building right next to their art building. And, um, and I knew that I could probably try to do both. Um, I actually took a year off in middle of my, uh, my architectural degree to, to just paint with a, with, a, with a teacher that was there. Uh, but I've uh, always really loved architecture. I still paint, but, I, but I've always really liked architecture. That's great. And how did... Um... Did you know, uh, either, both of you, uh, from your early days studying architecture, that sustainability would be a focus? And then how did, how did you come to Passive House uh, as, a, as a standard? Yeah. Well, in the beginning, I really had no idea. Um, I, I, it, was, it wasn't in the focus of my attention. I was in my you know, early 20s, and I just studied architecture because it was fun. But then when I went to grad school, uh, I, there were many great professors and they kind of drilled in us the sense of social responsibility, uh, that how important it was. And I remember initially really feeling deeply guilty because I didn't have that kind of social awareness or consciousness and thought maybe actually I started doubting maybe I shouldn't even be doing architecture uh, because I just didn't have that sense. But by the end of my program, it really started to impact. And especially when I went out into the real workforce, I think that's when I really start to see the power of what we do and how much impact it actually has on people, our environment, just society in general. And so quickly that turned around really right. fast uh, and started. So starting working in, in the field made me realize that with the amount of impact that our work does have on people, that this really is an important part of of, of what we do. And so that's kind of how it all started, the sense of being really socially and environmentally right. sustainable. Mm. And in terms of Passive House, another, I feel like this is the story of my life. Everything happens organically. Um, I think that came along when I started working on the building envelope, when we had to affect the building envelope, the exterior walls. And it was just really a simple decision. I remember thinking, I really don't want mold. <laughs> you know, I don't want condensation right. in the building exterior walls, and that's going to cause potential mold, and that's going to be really unhealthy for our clients. So how do I avoid mold? And so I started researching and somehow landed upon Passive House, uh, took a course, and then next thing you know, the rest is history. So literally from wanting to learn about how to prevent mold in our building envelope, it literally led to how to, uh, how to save the environment through Passive House. So yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. I ended up 
coming to doing passive house. That's interesting. Um, yep. Michael, how did you how did you come to this? So, I mean, what's nice about New York Tech, and I think they still have a pretty robust um, two-track program. Uh, and one of the track is a four-year program, which is uh, much more um, engineering uh, focused. And um, you have the ability to take courses in both. And a number of the teachers there um, were, were doing at the time uh, passive solar houses, and they were, they were quite interested in it. And they talked about it all the time. And our mechanical engineering classes we took, they talked about it all the time and better ways to do it. And then when I went to um, go work with Ben, which will be 25 years this July, by the way, um, with Ben Baxt, uh, Ben was always interested and still is. Um, ben did a uh, uh, kind of a passive solar uh, pool, interior pool house where, you know, way back when um, we saw the photo wall in our office. But um, Ben has always been interested in it. I mean, he's always doing solar panels. He's always trying to do kind of the best we could do at the time. We didn't really, um, most of our buildings could have been lead, um, gold at least, uh, but, but we didn't really follow it because it was just too difficult or too expensive for our residential clients who, who aren't really looking for the badge to, to, to do. So it wasn't a perfect fit, but we actually loved lead and still do. We kind of follow a lot of their interesting guidelines in terms of yeah. um, kind of uh, how they're dealing with uh, people moving in and so forth. But with Passive House, we did a building next to, um, I never heard of it before, and we did a building next to Sam McAbee and Ken Levinson. And uh, we did same size house as, as they did. And I um, became friends with Sam and made fun of him for two years. Um, you know, that his house was going to be horrible because, you know, we had 14 tons of cooling and radiators and we had all this cool stuff that like, who's going to make this work and that work. And he's like, I just have two little Mitsubishi units. And, um, and, and then we followed him and his house worked really, really well. And I was enamored as I think our office is, um, uh, I still think enamored with the benefits of the passive house as much as kind of the energy savings and the mold reduction, but it's really the health benefits. And it is just, um, it's how quiet they are. And, it, and we, we knew that our, our clients would be excited about it. And, you know, the, the yeah. filtered fresh air 24 uh, seven, the big thing for us is sealing it from the sidewall. So you get no bugs and dust. Um, so we knew it would be a, a good fit for our clients. And when I saw Sam doing it and kind of visited that, that one job every three or four weeks and saw the, I was sold. I was like, yeah, this is a good fit for townhouses yeah. in New York city. This, this works. Um, and how did you, how did each of you, like, once you discovered passive house, you then have to introduce, introduce it to clients. How did you go about doing that, engaging a client in the idea of pursuing passive house? Our first Passive House Project, we were actually fortunate to have a client who was very, uh, she was a very enlightened client and she actually was aware of Passive House. Oh, wow. So when we approached her about it, uh, she was very intrigued with the idea. The one thing, the one parameter that she wanted to make sure was that if we did Passive House, that it wouldn't cost more than a non-Passive House project. Interesting. So we ended up having to do some uh, studies on trade-offs and to show her how it could actually ultimately be uh, either even more savings or at the minimum equal to a, a very good solid construction conventional building type. And so after having doing some trade-offs saying, if you increase insulation here, you know, we can reduce the uh, plumbing uh, heating systems. So therefore you have a great savings on the mechanical side of it all uh, through air sealing and whatnot. Uh, and in the economy of just adding a couple more inches, extra inches of uh, insulation 
could save you in so many of the reduction in energy and what that translated to. So after doing that kind of study analysis with her and sharing it, that's kind of what convinced her to accept us going to the passive house route. Right. Because in fact, we started the project without it being a passive house, but then when we realized that her project would really lend itself well since we were affecting the building envelope, she was very open to it. So yeah, so that's how it started with the first project. Yeah. Michael, how, how did you first, uh, how did you deal with this the first time you engaged a client with the idea of pursuing your passive house? So um, I still engage them in a very similar way, where as soon as I had seen what what the amenities were, I, I, I would walk, I had, a, I had a client on the Upper West Side, and I walked through with them and I said, listen, you know, if you want to get um, rid of, and it was kind of loud that day, they were doing construction outside, if you want to get rid of the street noise, we could probably use passive house windows and I walk through. And if you want to get rid of these radiator pipes and those radiators, we could probably get rid of them if we do a passive house. And if you want to get rid of bugs and dust and some of these other stuff that we've got in the house, we could probably do a passive house and fresh air 24 seven as we looked around because it was pretty musty. It, it had been a 12 family that had been horribly maintained. And if you wanted right. it to smell fresh 24 seven, we could do a passive house and just selling the amenities of it, he was in. Um, yeah. it, it was, uh, and I still, I literally still do it that way today because I feel like um, it is all the terms that we use, whether it's lead or passive or whatever term you want to use, they're, they're too abstract. Um, so I think describing the amenities and what you get out of, I feel like we started with the energy reduction and the benefits and the um, uh, the benefits to to the world and so forth. I, I they're always assuming they're going to get less. Well, okay, great, but yeah. like you know, yeah. like what do I have to sacrifice? You know, imagine that that, that you could do all that while while you get more, uh, where you get a better house. So that was our first one, and our first one, uh, it was challenging, and we learned how to do the the next several, uh, right. much less challenging manner. I mean, it's it is very uh, interesting. You know, people don't necessarily pursue developing a new home to save the planet so it makes sense that why would they develop it in a certain way to do that mm -hmm. and so you know it makes a lot of sense to kind of focus on those benefits um and that seems like the thing that's going to be most compelling to the widest uh variety of folks unless you happen to be designing a house for like bill mckibben or someone who's already mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um are there particular uh, of the various amenities for either of you? Are there particular benefits that are uh, particularly compelling to clients um, that you found over time? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. As Michael, you've said. Oh, I'm sorry that you mentioned the comfort factor. Mm -hmm. Just the notion of having continuous fresh air is a huge bonus. Um, you know, never having drafts in the winter time is very appealing. Uh, not having to have radiators in front of your windows in the winter, uh, the fact that you can sit next to them uh, and be comfortable, that's always appealing. So truly the comfort factor is huge. And then for others, you know, also it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that there is this huge energy savings, uh, which gets directly reflected in your utility bill that you only have to pay a, just a fraction, you know, 10%, or if we use renewable energy, we don't even have to have that either. So all of these definitely are the, mm -hmm. I think the main focus of what is attractive to our clients and, and to all of us personally. Uh, and then, you know, of course the environmental aspect, what it contributes is huge. Uh, and, you know, for our clients, it's, it's, you know, they love hearing the fact that while they get to also have all these personal benefits, that they are also helping the environment. You know, so it's kind of like a win-win from, from all, all sides. 
So that's probably what's the most compelling. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, it's interesting. Um, very often people don't get past the fact that they could have a sealed house from bugs and dust. Um, it, it, everything else I talked That's about that, that was kind of, that was kind of interesting, but they'll pay anything for that. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the, you, you can take my sub zero and my nice kitchen. Can I get that? Because people didn't know they can have it. I mean, people right. don't know they, they can have these um, uh, well-built uh, healthy environments. They didn't know it, it existed. They didn't know it was so easy to put a fresh air system in that provides fresh air 24 seven. They didn't know that was possible. So they don't really know to ask the question. So unless they've already been in one or, or have heard someone talk about one, they don't know to say, hey, listen, I'd love to have a passive house. Right. Because, because they didn't know it was an option. They're like, wow, that exists, I can have that. And then once they know it exists, um, I mean, I, I've had the opposite happen where we're trying to save money, where we're over budget. And maybe we're not going to certify on that job because we want to save a couple of thousand dollars. But the stuff that we're doing for passive, it doesn't leave that job. Like they're sold already. Like, well, why would I take up my sealed walls? You know, right. no, no, I don't want to hear <laughs> right. street noise. They, they won't right. take out those things once they once they learn it's possible. Uh, but I think that's that's a bigger hurdle. I think a lot of people don't know that they don't know that to ask that question because yeah, it, 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 it's it's interesting. Once they know it is, they yeah. want it no matter what, though. Yeah. I mean, that leads to sort of my next question about whether pursuing Passive House on some projects, how that different process and different way of approaching things has maybe um, changed how you practice as an architect writ large. Has that influenced uh, how you work um, and, and on any kind of fundamental level? Oh, yeah. definitely. Uh, it's... it's Doing Passive House has certainly uh, made me much more aware of building science. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, so both from the end user's perspective of all the comfort and the, just the, the, the amazing experience you get. But then as an architect, the backstory of it is, you know, our deep knowledge in building science in order to do Passive House. And also just really internalizing this notion that, that how we design and build truly impacts the environment, you know, whether it can yeah. harm mm -hmm. or help mitigate climate change. And that's just huge. Uh, and also what's interesting is that people sometimes ask or fellow, you know, industry professionals ask, well, isn't Passive House following these rigorous five principles? It, you know, it seems very limiting or maybe you can only do one aesthetic type of building or whatnot. I mean, and actually I find it to be the reverse. I find it incredibly liberating because it creates this incredible um, compass. It's kind of like the North Star. Yeah. So anything that we have to think about, it creates a, a, a reference point for us to always go back to and kind of check and say, so how does this relate in terms of the Passive House principles? And it actually helps us to make decisions more easily. Uh, the other thing is, you know, there's that saying that art thrives on limitations. Uh, that's, I think someone, some yeah. English writer had yeah. mentioned that. And I believe that this is also true for architecture and passive house, that these principles actually allow us to be even more creative right. rather than less. So, so yeah, it's definitely, it, it's made it so much more interesting. Uh, it's, I don't have to second guess my decisions, whether it's from a design aesthetic point of view or technical point of view, it just really is a great guiding principle. Uh, to everything that we do. It's interesting that you you find it empowering, is what you're saying, essentially. Oh, definitely. You know, that's really fascinating. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that's definitely that, being a better architect. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a, that is a uh, my, what I was going to say as well is a, that's a great segue to it. It has freed us as a designer. Uh, we use passive house windows and installations on non-passive houses all the time. We're able to right. design stuff and have spaces we couldn't have otherwise because they would underperform. Um, right. And uh, and if I didn't have that high performing window, I couldn't do that wall of glass there. I just couldn't. And if I didn't know to design that that covering over it to provide the proper shading, I couldn't do it. The house that you'd, you'd cook inside. So just knowing these things as on the design level, it has been truly instrumental. And then they're just kind of like the stupid, easy solutions like insulating above the roof so that the heat hits the, the insulation and it never makes it into the house. Right. And it's like, why would you not do it that right. way? Or, or the under slab treatment. I mean, we don't have any other details in passive or non-passive. You just kind of learn these tricks that they're not more money. It's just um, to do. It's just, it's just knowing to do them. So it's really, yeah. it's really effective. I agree with, with, with Incho. I mean, it really, it has freed us and it has allowed us to do some stuff on our projects that we probably would have had a harder time doing otherwise. Yeah, exactly. It's just like a checklist. Yeah. It's also my sense that uh, it's changed the dynamics of construction, uh, especially on small residential projects. Could you speak to how Passive House is sort of accepted and, and absorbed into the, the trades? I think that, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is uh, it provides, um, so it was a little bit of a slow start. We, we worked with, a, we, we've never, actually just now, we just, um, um, Jose from Jay's, who did a passive house. But before that, we worked with the contractors we loved and had them learn passive house. And at first it was a little bit of a challenge. They, they didn't necessarily want to learn the new trick. But once one or two of them did, it become, became a little bit like wildfire. And um, finally they're getting paid to do better construction. And also some of the tricks they're being taught can't be unlearned. Um, and, and, and they're learning all these cool new techniques. And I find that the are genuinely excited. And we've been doing this whole um, kind of contractor collaborative thing where we have the, the contractors all meet together on our jobs. And that's one of the requirements of working with us that you uh, are a contractor. You have to agree to open up one of your job sites to all the other people you compete with. You have to compare notes, see what works, wow. see what doesn't. And what's nice about that is it is you get to really pick apart the details and the specifications. Right now we have four passive houses going on in like 10 block radius. So, and they're all using slightly different air sealing methods. They're using a different window. They're using different installation types. And so we met and we just compared which one was better, which one was in stock, which one was easier. Um, and it, it really propels us, makes it easier to closer to cost neutral. But what's interesting for me is we had a contractor who did not want to get into passive house who had recently gotten into passive house only because he's realized he's not on the bids. Right. He's, he's, he's out of the circle. And and he recently took it and he loves it. And now he's now he's in the circle. And it's become a kind of a different thing where at first they didn't want to necessarily take it. Now they're all excited that some of this stuff uh, might be easier to take maybe online or or they've got a little I'm now, so I, I feel like it's it's been a complete reversal, and the trades are are pretty excited about it. That's interesting. In show, what do you, what's your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, what Michael said exactly about how you know the prior to contractors knowing about passive house, and then post after knowing passive house, and actually building to the passive house standards and in its methodologies, they really become converts overnight. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we, you know, as you, as Michael does as well, is that, you know, we really tell contractors during the bid phase that we are doing pass-pass and, or we're applying these methodologies. So for them to be up on, you know, the, the general background of it, we encourage them to take the tradesperson's course, which is not that long. It's only five days and five days of training ends up being their lifelong, you know, uh, year of business of doing uh, much better buildings. And what they always find is it's always, it's the lack of knowledge that makes them so resistant and potentially affect the cost of construction. Right. Mm-hmm. Once they get it under their belt, they realize it's actually no more difficult than what they've always been doing. Yeah. I mean, that's always the hilarious and always the joy of seeing that realization come to fruition during the process, you know, of those who haven't done it and starting doing it. And they just love that they, they also feel very empowered. The fact that they're creating a much better quality building for truly not much more in their construction cost. Uh, you know, the one thing that there, there is a little bit more attention to is, is in labor, you know, the attention to take care. Uh, and also there's a little bit of slight change in potential sequencing of construction phases, uh, such as like if you were to go from a masonry uh, wall to a metal stud wall transition when you're doing an addition, for example, and you're going from the mason subtrades to then, you know, the metal stud framers, but then we have to put in a thermal break material in between. So then who does that? So then we have to stop that work and have some, a third party come in to deal with that aspect of installing the thermal break materials. But other than that, it really is relatively straightforward. And it really is, as Michael, you've mentioned that it's just about being well-informed and, and it really uh, encourages a much stronger communication along all the trades uh, and especially having a much more coordinated process from the get-go, like from the very beginning of the project. And once that communication is clear yeah. and solid and goes through the entire construction process, it is actually quite seamless. And even for us as architects and trying to help the contractors and you know, knowing what they need from us, it really forces us to kind of be proactive about the plannings of what's going on. And so by just having that foresight, also helps for projects to go as smoothly as it can. And we all know that construction does not go smoothly. (laughs) So it kind of helps with that little extra layer of of pre-thinking to the entire process of construction. You've both noted how um, certain elements of Passive House are being absorbed into sort of all of your projects. And actually we're seeing the fundamentals being absorbed more and more into our energy codes. And I'm, I'm curious what you, what you both feel is sort of next for the standard. Does it, does it become less relevant as the codes sort of catch up or do you see it continuing to advance its requirements um, uh, moving forward? Is there some fundamental shift on the horizon for Passive House? That's a good question. Um, I, I think that um, was, it was a couple of interesting pieces I mean, one which which I should have mentioned as an amenity or something that's interesting about it. Um, you know, once you get a house to the passive standard, you don't need heat, um, and it's it's one of the things that I think is 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 not mentioned enough, or clearly enough. Right. And you could basically just not talk about anything else. But uh, I live in a passive house, and I used my heat seven nights this winter total. Last winter, I didn't wow. use it at all. Like, wow. well, we, we have a lot of debates in this country about, you know, coal or oil or gas or natural gas and solar. But you know, what if I don't need to heat my house? 
it, it, it's a very different um, situation. So I, I think that getting houses closer to the passive house standard and, and making sure that you're doing it the right way that's critical. Um, will be helpful. And then uh, just coming back to that, I think that you're right. The code is really uh, nicely catching up, especially in New York City. And I know that you guys are heavily kind of involved in that, which is also helpful. But um, I think that some of the principles of Passive House are making their way in. It's, it's, it's the checking for the thermal bridging. It's the blower door test. It's the verification. And, um, you know, just talking a little bit back to one of your past questions, one of the other differences we have in the office is we bring our passive house consultant in very early in schematic design. And what's nice about that and whether, you know, and they can put it into, into their passive planning package and they can input it into the computer and you know if your wall's gonna work. There's a certain amount of, um, uh, you know, a lot of times people are guessing, ah, this worked in the last job, it'll work on this one. Oh, I'll throw a little extra insulation in there. No, like they're literally testing the thermal bridging. They're putting it into the equation. And I feel like a lot of that's making its way into the code. Yeah. So I feel like um, whether they call it passive house or don't call it passive house, um, whether it goes full on, um, but I, I believe a lot of the principles are making it in. And for me, it's really exciting because I feel like it will make better buildings. But I also think in terms of an architect, it, it really actually also reduces your risk and liability. Um, right. in, back in Chota, your one of your initial points of like, you know, no mold, uh, no right. moisture. Um, having these programs check it before you build it. Um, it's, you know, I, I've become so used to it that uh, I, I, I forgot all about that, that, that benefit until just now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the energy code is moving into direction of passive house no matter what. Uh, that is for certain. And in fact, uh, as being a member of the advisory board for this recent change to the 2020 energy code, that was the big part of the discussion. How much of passive house principles, but not just the principle, but also the standard uh, requirements should we implement right. into the current code? Uh, and it was understood that we also have to acknowledge that the industry needs to catch up. So we have to kind of start in a step-by-step -step process. We do have the local law 32, 2018. Uh, you know, it seems like a lot of the legislative acts in the last couple of years are all supporting the energy code to go in the passive house direction, such as, as I mentioned, the 32 law, which requires the energy code to be revised to more stringent parameters every three years. Then we have, you know, the Climate Mobilization Act with the local law 97, which caps carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. Right, so therefore we're already pulling away from carbon-based uh, fossil fuel energy use, which yeah. also then the code needs to support so that our industry know how to comply with it. Uh, there's also the local law, uh, what, 92 and 94 for solar panels. That's right, yeah. That used to actually be in the code, but they took it out because now it's law. <laughs> so everyone has to do it, so that's great. So we are promoting again, uh, carbon-free uh, renewable energy resources. So the energy code is definitely uh, in parallel with Passive House principles, as well as the standards. And hopefully in the next, after the next couple of more cycles that it really will be to the same standards. Now, by doing that, I think one of the things that there does have to be a continued shift in thinking of the code is that we do have two ways in which we uh, comply with the code. We have the ways in which we do the prescriptive method, right, you know, just right. complying by item by item. We have the building envelope, we have the lighting, et cetera, or HVAC systems. And then we have the performance uh, based method, which is what Passive House does, right? We, we 
taking all these components, put together and figure out how much heat demand it requires. And then we design our HVAC system. So it's much more of, as Andreas Benzigan, uh, New York Passive House, the way he describes it, Passive House is an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So it really takes all of these different elements and it has to be combined and working together for it to work. So that only happens when we can have the energy code uh, be in compliance based on a building entire building performance method. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think the code will also be going in that direction. Right. And in fact, I think in 2024, we also have that based on the, uh, is it the local 97 that requires buildings over 25,000 square feet to use the uh, performance method. So mm -hmm. once we start doing that, then pretty much the entire industry, as Michael says, whether you call it passive house or not, that is the way that our industry will be thinking about how we design buildings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's actually very uh, encouraging. That 2024 sense. is the first reporting year of local on 97 compliance. And right. 2025 right. is the year that the city is required to adopt a performance-based code, which is essentially a kind of prescriptive EUI-based um, mm -hmm. standard, which is yeah. sort of similar yeah. to a passive house approach. Yeah, It's going to mm -hmm. be really interesting to see that play out. Exactly. Yeah. And then also, as you know, and we all know about the fact that New York State is trying to plan on the uh, the uh, renewable electrification using yep. renewable yep. energy mm -hmm. instead of carbon based. So that's also being implemented into the energy code. Actually, it's in the current energy code right now, but just a little with the I think it's called the performance uh, source energy index, where it uses carbon based fossil fuel as a metric for compliance or non carbon based. Right, right, right. Uh, as so, so it really is starting to reflect it in the code. Yeah, definitely. And of course, Passive House really is supportive of all of this because, as Michael says, we may not even need that much energy in a Passive House. So it really helps, especially in urban environments where we don't have a lot of rooftop spaces that maybe prior, maybe just a couple of solar panels that our limited exterior spaces could accommodate would not have been able to be sufficient to allow our buildings to run and function as they should. Now it can't because it already dim diminished the energy use by over 90%. Yeah, so it really is kind of all kind of merging together. Definitely. Mm -hmm, definitely. definitely. Um, we've, I mean, you've both worked on projects that have proven the feasibility of delivering Passive House sort of on budget, on schedule, uh, in a variety of contexts. But are there still sort of technologies? or systems or solutions that you wish were available that would sort of reduce friction on projects or, or reduce costs in certain areas? Um, yeah, so I, I feel like the last year has been incredible, uh, or maybe a year and a half. Uh, it used to be that we had one liquid applied thing that we could use and then another one came out and. Now I, I have four contractors using four different ones wow. um, and they're all competing. We've got multiple window companies competing in the market. I'm like many. Yeah. Um, um, we've got tape manufacturers, you know, um, air barrier manufacturers, uh, smart membrane manufacturers, all competing in, in the industry. And as you know, with every industry, um, it used to be difficult to get the stuff. It used to be difficult to figure out how to use it. A lot of these companies are showing up to your job sites, teaching the, uh, the people how to, how to do it. They'll even install a window with you. Um, the, the infrastructure is really happening. It's just happening so fast. It reminds me of kind of the LED market um, uh, 10 years ago. With the, you turn around, there's like a brand new LED light there. 
but the passive house or high performance building market, it is um, it's it just morphing so fast. And there's a lot of European stuff that's coming so fast, being changed. People use it, they fix it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, my answer is going to be yes. I, I wish there's a lot of stuff that was here and a lot of stuff that could be done easier. Uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll always feel that way. But I feel like it is so much easier now than it ever was before. I mean, just ever. Uh, I'll just use the liquid applied air barrier as one specific example. There are two companies that will sell a product that cuts that process down by three quarters of the time. And in a passive house, on a townhouse at least, when I've got these two side walls and all these joist pockets, that was the thing that took the most time. Well, if I can cut that down by three quarters, I mean, that's a game changer. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And now that you know, one company came out with it, then immediately the second and the third <laughs> one did. And uh, I don't know how that happens, but you know, it's um, it's it's pretty. It's fun to to be in it at this time. There's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, we're definitely in, in the midst of so much uh, passive house related products that are being developed at just really fast exponential rate. Uh, and I think that, I mean, on the one, that's, it's so amazing to see all of this revolution of, of new products coming out. And the thing that I, I keep in mind as I'm looking at these products is just in terms of the embodied carbon of these materials, mm -hmm. how that's going to relate yeah, in the yeah. future to to our, you know, environmental issues, which is the other half. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, we are just starting to, to build these buildings to pass our standards that are already amazing and we have to continue to do so. But I think that as a parallel track along the way that we should also constantly keep, uh, keep in mind the embodied carbon of these materials that we're using. So I think that's one thing that I try to keep in my head uh, when I'm selecting uh, materials. Yeah. It's a great point to to remind us of the embodied carbon of construction and how important that that is. I've, I've been interested recently. It used to be that when people talked about decarbonizing buildings, they only meant the operational energy. They basically only meant going yeah. to electricity. Exactly. But increasingly, mm -hmm. I'm hearing you know developers and people use the phrase decarbonizing to mean, mm -hmm. oh, we're also considering the embodied carbon of the projects, which is a really heartening trend to see um, happening. Yeah. Uh, both of you um, kind of engage with the Passive House and community and the community at large through a variety of sort of extracurricular, non-architecture-based um, projects. Michael, you have the Passive House Accelerator. And in, you know, you have done a Passive House dance collaboration <laughs> with a local high school. Um, yeah. I would love to hear about those and any other ways that <laughs> Passive House is uh, the kind of uh, the platform through which you're engaging with folks outside of your projects. Michael, did you want to start? Uh, <laughs> I'm dying to hear about the, about the dance <laughs> <laughs> But um, so, um, yeah, the, so we, we launched the Passive House Accelerator about a year ago, maybe a little bit more. I think it actually launched officially in June of last year. Um, but it, it launched a little quietly before that. And the reason we launched it is to try to aggregate and point people in the directions of a lot of already really incredible groups that were already doing great stuff, um, including BEX, I, just making sure that it could be spread out even wider. We, I went to a number of conferences and realized that this person didn't know that that person was doing this and this person didn't know that person was doing that. And it's just the notion that together we're stronger. 
um, yeah. that it could be that that it could be accelerated. And then it was also designed to um, continue the conversations that we were having at conferences, and to put all these great heads in one place. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. It's been uh, it's been exciting. And now uh, Zach Semke runs it for us, yeah. which is fantastic because I, I didn't know how to do it at all and I was failing pretty heavily. So, but, uh, but Zach, he's got it. It's, it's been, it's been a really fulfilling experience. And then lately we've been doing these, um, passive house happy hours where, um, each week we've got a new person, um, uh, who speaks for just 15 minutes. It's a, it's a quick one. And then we do some Q and a according to that. And then we, then we do an after party that has lasted about an hour and a half for better or worse. And what's great about it is it's people from all over the world. You know, it starts with 300 people and then trails off to like 60 or 70 towards the end of the night. And it's, um, it's that thing that we had throughout the world where um, you've, you've got different people from everywhere who've kind of solved it this way and solved it that way. Or, um, this great mind in England saying to this person in Utah, like, no, 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 you got to do it this way. And all of a sudden, like everybody's, you can see people writing it down. People want to copy the chat. So it's it's just designed to kind of accelerate that that growth and to help organize it a little bit. That's great. It's been fun. That's great. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So I mean, like Michael, we you know we're all trying to find going through passive house conferences every year and. And seeing all the different amazing minds within our profession, from policymakers to architects to you know uh, manufacturers, uh, and it's just been so inspiring. And the one thing that is always kind of a theme in all of these conferences is of how do we proliferate passive house yep. ideas mm -hmm. to the mainstream, as make it as widespread as possible. And so that's kind of what spurred uh, what we've been doing for the last year and a half, which is trying to figure out how can we uh, impart passive house knowledge as truly as far and wide as possible, that even beyond our profession, mm -hmm. like even beyond our industry, to really turn it into a household knowledge. You know, we know about recycling. Well, why can't we know about passive house? Like, and these the principles are so simple. I mean, why can't we know that when the window's broken, that instead of replacing it with a poor performing window, that we replace it with a nice high performing window that could actually save us energy? And do we really need architects like us to tell people that they can do that? Great point. So this is kind of the goal to not need people like us, that it becomes such a common household knowledge that everyone's empowered. And truly, it, I think it takes that level, the efforts of every individual being able to empower themselves to do these things at very you know, localized, of course, we'll always be needed at some point, but you know, if, they, if we all can do it at an individual level, kind of like COVID-19, we've all learned to wear masks, social distancing, and we realize that just these individual acts, but together, they really make an yeah. impact. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we have India and LA with much less pollution in the air, Venice canals are getting cleaner, and what, that's in two months. And something that people for decades have been discussing about how to how to improve these qualities. So the, this knowledge is what or this thought is what kind of brought us to the Passive House dance, uh, which is that we've been wanting to empower particularly the youth generation, the young ones, in terms of empowering them with these tools so that for the future, they have the tools to be able to address climate change as it progresses, or hopefully it'll slow down. But in the meantime, we wanted to impart this knowledge in a way that's fun so that it can last. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I used to read some science textbooks in high school, I, I study it, take a test, and then I forget about it. So we really want to find a way to make this kind of everlasting. 
So we've turned it into a, a, a way for them to learn it in a creative outlet. So we've taught them the principles and now they're interpret them into a dance choreography, uh, drawings, spoken word, you name it, like anything creative that they want to do, they have the freedom to do. So currently, uh, in fact, hopefully as we speak, we're getting in all the videos that they've been doing. Uh, we, they were supposed to do a live presentation at the North American Passport this June, but unfortunately with the COVID-19, right. it all got right. disbanded. Mm -hmm. And that was really sad for us. And we thought, okay, well, what can we do? We have to stay resilient, especially for the kids to know that, you know, during these times, resiliency is a very important aspect to keep yeah. going. So we found a new format, which is through the remote and creating videos. So they're all doing their performances in their home safely. And then somehow we'll put it all together and we'll see what happens. Um, it also, we actually started doing this with the local Brooklyn elementary school and believe it or not, from, from kindergarten to fifth grade. <laughs> and they just got these principles that you can't believe. I have to say that, I mean, with no offense to us architects, but you know, we've been also training architects and the engineers and they Much got harder. these principles right away. <laughs> mm -hmm. I was so impressed. It was hilarious. So anyway, so yeah, so now they've actually are doing artwork, dance, uh, they've created music, ballads. It's just been a whole lot of fun. And they've also, it's been giving them purpose during, you know, staying at home and trying to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, the principal's been really on board with it. So yeah, so this is how we are trying to address uh, giving Passive House a much more widespread knowledge uh, presence to really turn into a household. That's now. really great. I hope that you will, I hope <laughs> you will share the results of that. And we will, we, we will, will, we will, yeah. Far just and wide. Nervous because we gave them too much freedom. And so we'll see what, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I mean, that, but that was the goal is the goal is that let them have fun because hopefully by, by exploring in these really fun ways in a way that's meaningful to them, that then they could really remember. Yeah. yeah. It's a great idea. It's a yeah. great idea. And I really hope you'll share it and we'll be X and I'm, I'm sure the Passive House Accelerator will, will cast yes. far and wide, make sure, everybody, okay, good. make sure everybody knows about it. So this has been a great uh, conversation. I really appreciate you both doing this. Um, I wanted to ask just as a sort of final question, you know, these are relatively dark times. Uh, we're all sort of hunkering down in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we're likely to see a pretty significant economic recession uh, whose length is is sort of unknown at, at this point. Um, and I, I, I've been asking our guests on this uh, on this series what it is right now that's giving them hope. So I'm wondering, Incho, you may have just answered that question actually, <laughs> but um, but I, I would please I'd like uh, I'd like our audience to know um, from each of you what's giving you hope right now. Well, I mean, I I, I would say. Um, uh, radio shows like this or or what's happening with bs and beer or what's happening with the accelerator one of the silver linings um where even as we were saying earlier just families talking that haven't talked forever yeah. um people have had to learn to be remote and to be remote really really good and they'd have to they have to do it instantly so um now that we're all experts in it um whether I'm here or I'm in Bangladesh or I'm in Africa, or we, we're all talking, and the 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 level of um, the level of collaboration um, and the excitement with the collaboration, I don't think is going to end after we're all back together uh, physically. I think we've all learned how to work better without any border, yeah. and it's really really exciting. It's been um, honestly, it's been it's been 
it's 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 some days it's so exciting you kind of forget what you what you're what's all around you and especially when we're in Brooklyn it's all around us yeah. and um, you you start to realize what's happening locally but um, but I I think that that's gonna it, it's really propelled us in a way that's gonna that's gonna keep going it's going and I think that'll really benefit us in coming back into our economic downturn as we start to look at how all these other countries and all these other cities are also dealing with this, um, you know, what happens if this is the new economy? I mean, we've got a lot of buildings that are at their shelf life. What happens when people realize, Oh oh my God, I can save that much money or I can have this. Maybe maybe this is the new economy. Maybe it's, it's a solutions based uh, workforce that's out there. And um, I think just, again, this globalized, effort that is just been kind of effortless because we've all had to do it no matter what. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been really fun. Yeah. Ian, how about you? Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with everything Michael says and, you know, truly what this whole COVID-19 has, has brought forth is that true sense of resiliency and suppleness and really pushing all of us to think outside the box mm-hmm. And that's something that I think we all needed to do in general, uh, you know, from the young ones all the way to our grandparents, uh, to always kind of continue to push, challenge ourselves to not always accept the norm as they are, because there's so many other alternatives that can be just as creative um, and impactful, if not even more. Mm-hmm. So that's really uh, the one of the biggest silver linings to all of this, of course. It, there's been so many uh, unfortunate uh, you know, course, results yeah. from it, uh, the social distancing. And at the same time, because of it, we have this BX radio yep. talk. And it would not have happened if we didn't have this COVID-19. So truly, it's amazing. It's both devastating and truly amazing at the same time in terms of what people have been able to do in their constructive response to this COVID-19. You know, in my block, I live in Brooklyn and one of the highest rate of contagion, COVID-19 in Lefferts Gardens. And it's the people in our neighborhood have really come together. They're helping out all the elderly, going shopping for them. You know, we have a whole list of people and, you know, they sign up to say who needs what, whatnot. I mean, it really has brought a lot of the community folks together. And I generally, I'm one of those New Yorkers where I go outside and I don't like to say hello to people. I just kind of do my thing and then come back. Or sometimes I do. But now it's really forced me to be even more social uh, in other ways. So I think that's really, really great. Um, one, and the other thing is, I think it also reminds us about just it keeps us really humbled. You know, I, I live and work near Prospect Park and that's one of my outlets of sanity. And I see the birds nesting during the spring. I see the trees and flowers blossoming during the spring. And um, and I take a lot of photos because they just such great, great reminders that that at a planetary overall level, things are there are aspects that are still good and still continuing. And that this actually is happening to us humans, but that, you know, it's a little bit of a humbling thing that it is affecting humans and maybe some, you know, living creatures, but all in all, there's still nature that is still continuing to function. And that's actually very reassuring and it's also inspiring. And also it reminds us that we have the power to change this, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way we, there's a lot that we've created to create this problem. And so therefore we can empower ourselves to actually make the improvements that's needed. Uh, So that's actually a little bit of help. And again, you know, I can't stress enough this whole 
those small acts that we all individuals do that together really make a huge yeah. impact. And I think that this pandemic has shown that in terms of our cooperation to have our social distancing, wearing masks and the, impact, the positive impacts it had to make the changes that needed to happen so quickly. And yet they're very small acts, although not the social distancing part. Um, but having the social distancing, it also makes us feel not take things for yeah. granted, you know, mm -hmm. that we used to previously. You know, my daughter taking the subway or even going to school hated that idea. And now she misses it to no <laughs> end. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just certain things or even just the idea of sitting in a classroom. You know, it's like sometimes you just don't want to get up and go to school. And now she'll give anything to just even have that normalcy in life. So things that we've taken for granted in the past, I think that now it kind of uh, we can definitely appreciate more and definitely just the little things, you know, I think all of this was also giving us a little bit of a pause to kind of reevaluate what is a priority and important in life and just really seeing the loved ones and, and also heightening the fact that we're social creatures. Yes. So we do need this social connection and we're all making this great effort to have that, even if it's remote. So it just kind of highlights all those things that potentially in the past just never even was a very uh, conscious yeah. aware aspect to our daily lives. Um, so yeah, so that's been good. And then of course, you know, all the first responders and, and even in our architecture industry, you know, creating the COVID masks and whatnot. I mean, it just really shows you the level of resiliency that human beings have when we are uh, pushed to the challenge. So in those aspects, it's reassuring. And I think that we could take all of this from this experience and when things kind of go return back, that we don't have to give up on all those that we've learned from this experience. And in fact, we can apply it and make everything even stronger, yeah. you know, and hopefully that could be applied to, you know, economy and, and all other aspects. That's a great, great note to finish on. Um, I want to thank you both very much uh, for the time this morning. It's been a great conversation and um, looking forward to seeing you both again in person uh, in, a, in, a, in a few months, I hope. Um, mm -hmm. And I want you both to, uh, to take care. I want to thank all the attendees for listening in this morning. And again, I know that uh, everyone at BX and, and, and Mike and Ian, of course, um, are all uh, hopeful that everybody listening in and all your families and friends are healthy and safe. Um, so thank you both again. Um, and thanks to everyone for listening in this morning. Please check out uh, more episodes of Radio BX in the future. And uh, everybody stay safe out there. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>